Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. It's change at the top as Subbase New London gets a new commanding officer. We talk exclusively to Captain Todd Moore, the outgoing 52nd commanding officer, about his time in charge. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. If you work in the military every two to three years, there's the possibility you'll be getting reassigned to a new job. And at Subbase New London, it's that time again for a change in command. We sat down recently with Captain Todd Moore, the 52nd commanding officer of the Subbase, to talk about his two and a half years at the top, dealing with the COVID crisis and where he's off to next. So joining me on the podcast is Captain Todd Moore, the commanding officer of Subbase New London. We're going to get into quite a bit of a discussion with you because, of course, you will be relinquishing command of Subbase New London to move on, as happens in the military. But before we get into all of that, I want to take you back to your childhood a little bit from Ohio originally. That's right. Just tell us a little bit about how you got into the Navy and, and then obviously your progression. I grew up in northeastern Ohio and had no idea that I was going to join the military. I uh, had had no close connection with the military. And uh, at, when I was uh, completing school, I just happened to visit the recruiter and see what they had to say. I was applying to many other jobs. I was applying to graduate schools, uh, so I had uh, some things to choose from, and I just liked what the what the recruiter had to say. Specifically, what most allured me to the military was the opportunity to get leadership experience at a young age, to be able to move around the world and uh, and and see see a lot of things I hadn't had the chance to experience. But to get that leadership experience, I thought it would be a a great first job, and it has been ever since. Being in the military takes exceptional people working in exceptional circumstances, but also being a submariner takes it to that next level again because of the type of work that you do. Some of it, in fact, a lot of it, so much secrecy behind it because it has to be because of the type. So do you think you have to be a particular type of person to be a submariner? Well, I don't know if you need to be a particular type of person, but uh, certainly what attracted me to the submarine service was the the independence of operations. The fact that when the submarine drives out from its home port and submerges, no one knows where that submarine is uh, or what it's doing. And there, therefore, the crew really needs to work together as a team. And that really attracted to me. The, the, when I had the opportunity to tour a submarine, having no experience with it and having to choose where I was going to go. I saw that the crew worked together very well, and I wanted to be a part of a team like that. And then, of course, you were in command of, of several uh, submarines. Uh, but the interesting thing is, apart from, you know, those are incredible jobs clearly to have and to be in that sort of leadership role, then you get selected 
or do you ask to be, you know, in charge of the subbase? Just explain to us how that works, because that's a huge like sea change, as it were, from mm-hmm. being in charge of a few hundred men to being in charge of thousands of people and effectively being the mayor of a small city. Yeah, so between uh, choice and selection, I'd say it's 50-50. Uh, certainly being detailed, as we say, to a new job as a, a negotiation process. Uh, we, we get to see what jobs are available within the Navy, and, and we get to choose from that list where we might want to go. But then it's up to our our detailers, our personnel officers, to uh, to select those that are going to be best for those jobs. So I went through a, a screening process for what we call major command, which is that transition from commanding a, uh, a submarine, in my case, to commanding something larger, a, a submarine squadron, perhaps, or in this case, a uh, naval installation. And so, yes, this was very high on my list of things I wanted to do, go command an installation. That said, one of the things I love about the Navy is when you move from job to job, you initially usually know very little about what that job entails, but you learn very quickly. And uh, in this case, there are so many great people who work here who helped to train me in my job as, uh, as I took command that it, uh, it made it very easy for me to assume this position. You also came in on the heels of Captain Paul Whitescarver, who was known as the finisher. Was there any sort of like, you know, reservations at all? Because he'd set a very high bar. I'm not saying that, you know, the other previous ones hadn't set a high bar as well, but certainly he seemed to have set quite a high bar. So what were your thoughts about coming in on on the back of of this gentleman who'd been there here for almost four years? Fortunately, I had the opportunity to work with Paul several times before uh, I came to relieve him. So I knew he was a a great gentleman. He was a friend of mine. It was great to follow in his footsteps. As he told me, he had had done a lot of work to to complete many projects and set me up for success. And and I, and I think he did so. It was, it was, uh, it was a pleasure to relieve from him. And, and I think that's one of the big lessons I've learned in this job is that the things we do, although sometimes we become overcome by current events, much of the things we do are impacting events years down the road. We're setting up future generations of sailors for success by what we do here. So, and that, that's what I've loved so much about this job. Of course, you will be part of, again, on the 24th of September, uh, the ceremony as you step down and your successor takes over. Can you remember your one, obviously, two and a half years ago and, and what your thoughts and feelings were at the time as you were getting ready to effectively take over? Bewilderment. <laughs> Who are all these people, right? So uh, it's stepping into any strange, un- unfamiliar job. I was, of course, concerned about whether I would be up to snuff. Right, whether uh, whether I could handle this, but again, I, I found the, the people here to be very supportive. Quickly brought me up to speed on everything I needed to know and do on the installation, and, and so welcoming. Besides the fact that, you know, as you said, this installation is a lot like it's like running a small city. Well, we have our customers too. We have the the submarine squadrons. We have the uh, the clinic at the hill. We have our department stores, right, our, our grocery stores. And the leaders of those organizations uh, also come together and help me be a part of this community. And the other thing, of course, is when you take on a role like this, a huge leadership role, there's so many facets to it other than what you've just mentioned. Obviously, there's that front of house sort of 
image that you have to project, not only to the media, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but also to, you know, the local legislators, the politicians, as well as the community as well. How tough a challenge is that? I think that's uh, no challenge at all, given the excellent structures and, and relationships we have built here in southeastern Connecticut. I have the pleasure of uh, sitting as an observer on the Southeastern Connecticut Council of Governments, also a very welcoming group of elected officials. I work very closely with our, our partners across the river, the Coast Guard, the Army National Guard. So the surrounding community has been very supportive. The relationship between sub-base and surrounding towns is uh, is a terrific one and fostered over a long period of time before I got here, but is fulfilled every day with the, the volunteer efforts that sailors make out in town and the gratitude that our neighbors show to those sailors. So in that respect, it's been it's been very easy and it's been a real pleasure to be a part of that. Do you consider yourself very much a people person? Because I know that sounds a strange question to ask you, but when you are at this level of leadership and dealing with all of these different types of, of people and communities, you have to be able to give that impression that, you know, you're you're the real deal because people will see through you very quickly. They'll see through anybody. What I've learned about leadership in this job is that people say, be yourself. Well, I think a better way to say that would be be your best self for the situation at hand. And sometimes that changes. You need to be different people to different other people. Good leaders are able to to flex to meet the need. And when there's a need to console someone who's grieving, you can do that. When there's a need to to be to project energy and get people behind something, you do that. So in that respect, my career throughout the Navy has been great preparation for that. Uh, as I said, what attracted me to the Navy in the first place is an opportunity to lead from a young age. And so I've been practicing to get here. And uh, this has been just a, a real pleasure to be able to execute. Let's quickly talk about the media because, of course, they are ever-present and uh, they're changing the way that they report. And, you know, there's uh, different types of media out there. How do you feel that your relationship with the media has been? And was it something that you had to really sort of prepare yourself a little bit more for? Because it's a very different type of front of house situation when you're dealing with like media who, uh, you know, maybe sometimes have got a slightly different agenda because of, you know, whatever story they're covering. So how would you say that your, your relationship was with the media overall during your time? Working with the media is a important part of any member of the Navy's job description. And I, I actually have been practicing that for uh, for the years prior to, to being in this seat because it's so important that we help educate the American people about what their military does. The military consumes many resources that people need to vote for, and we perform a very important function that people need to be educated about. So I, I consider it one of my most important civic duties to to help spread that message about what we do. What do submarines, what missions do they perform? What is their value? Why do we spend the money to to build and, and operate these submarines? So in that respect, I've very much appreciated my opportunity to engage with the media and help share that message. Now, command priorities, of course, are very important. Talk to us about you know the command priorities that you came into this job wanting to obviously achieve? My first priority when I got into the seat was to ensure that the installation was continuously preparing and improving its preparation for the next war. 
And by ensuring that we were resilient and ready to respond and to send our submarines out for combat operations if they were called upon uh, under any circumstance. And while that may sound fatalistic, I believe that the best way to prevent war is to be very much prepared for it. And uh, therefore, I took that upon myself as our goal to make sure that the not just our submarines and their crews were ready, but this installation was ready uh, to, to meet the need. So let me put this question to you. Did you ever think in your career that your war that you would be fighting would actually be against COVID-19? <laughs> While uh, we do have plans for pandemic response and, and occasionally leaf through those, no, uh, I did not imagine that uh, I'd be facing a pandemic on my watch. How did you, um, as you just said, obviously there are plans in place for such things like this, but even so when it does actually happen, it's sometimes a little bit of a different situation. How did you sort of like deal with this? Because, you know, the sub base naturally had to sort of like close down to a certain degree to help make sure that it uh, protected itself, but also protected the community. Talk us through a little bit, uh, if you can, of, you know, when that all started. The COVID-19 response demonstrates the best aspects of what it is to be a part of the military because going into that, none of us were experts. We almost immediately became experts in fighting the pandemic and organizing and responding to it. We had to because the, the mission of our submarines is a, a no-fail mission. We have got to be able to continue to send them to sea and have them operate for long periods of time on independent operations. That's their deterrent force. So that meant that the installation could not fail to support them. Everything from the harbor pilots that helped get them underway to the galley that feeds the sailors, those things needed to happen 24-7, 365. Uh, again, some of the best aspects about the military, we pulled people from different lines of operation on the installation, from different walks of life, as it were, and gave them new jobs and, and said, well, you're a contact tracer now, or uh, uh, you're going to be our database manager, or you're going to be writing policy uh, on the installation to help keep, keep people safe. Or you'll be out going around and enforcing rules and educating people on what they are. So in, in some respect, it's a pickup game, but it's a pickup game of, uh, of people who are quickly able to become experts. And that's, and that's how we responded. You used social media, you used video quite a bit as well to get your message out. Why did you choose to use that particular method? I think it's easy to forget how confusing the initial days of COVID-19 were. It was a very confusing time for our families, for, for the sailors and, and civilians who work on the installation. So our, our public affairs office and, and I knew that it was a big part of our job at that time was to communicate with people as to what the medical intelligence reveals, where to go and how to do it, to get tested or to get treatment, and then uh, what mitigation strategies we were putting in place. So during the be beginning phases of the pandemic, we were, as you said, broadcasting very frequently, at least weekly. We were also meeting with our tenant commands on the installation weekly to share lessons learned. And we were also meeting with our ombudsman, representatives from each command, family members or representatives from each command who are, are civilians, not employed by the Navy, but serve as communication liaisons between the Navy and their specific 
command families. We were meeting with them weekly to ensure that they could help educate the families, especially of sailors who might be might be out to sea. During your two and a half years here in commands, uh, you've done many things. Are there any particulars like uh, projects or situations or events that particularly stick in your mind that you know you look back with a little bit maybe more fondly than others? What energizes me most in this job is the ability to help other people. And we have the ability to do that every day in so many ways. The, the story that will always be in my mind is of a uh, families of a submarine crew. The submarine was out at sea. The families were going through a hard time because, as usually happens, the submarine's schedule was changing. And their, their sailors were going to be out to sea for longer than they thought. They were going to miss some important events. And, and they were going to, about to receive some bad news that the submarine was going to be extended out to sea even more. So the, uh, the ombudsman contacted me and said, uh, hey, we'd really like to do something for the families. Can you help us do something? And, and we, working with Morale Welfare and Recreation Department on the installation, we built an instant paintball course in the parking lot behind the building where they were meeting. And after this meeting where there were lots of you know, tears of sadness that they weren't going to see their sailors anytime soon, we had, I said, we've got a surprise for you. Follow me in the parking lot. And we went back there and we let them unload paintball guns at a target in the, in the parking lot. And those tears changed to tears of joy. They were so happy, so thankful that people cared about them. It was extremely moving. Again, I just want to thank the, the people on this base who make things like happen like that every day. The thing I want to ask you about, obviously, is Nautilus. We'd be a little bit remiss if we didn't mention the world's first nuclear submarine, of course, which is a beautiful part of the Submarine Force Museum. Talk to us a little bit about that because you support that greatly. The Nautilus and the Submarine Force Museum are really a cornerstone of, of tourism here in southeastern Connecticut, receiving many thousands of visitors every year. And it's a pleasure to be a part of that. We offer, of course, support to that command that runs the museum and, and, the, and the submarine. And they carry out that very important mission I mentioned of helping educate the populace about what the submarine force does. Certainly, there's a lot about history. Uh, which is important in both the ship and the museum. But there's also a discussion about the importance of our Navy and, and what our Navy does for the nation. And as much as Nautilus helps spread that message, we're a key part of it. This year, 2021, was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. You will remember, like so many people, that very fateful day. But of course, the submarine base and the military were very much involved in this. Talk to us a little bit about what that meant to you. It meant a lot to me to be a part of the 20th anniversary commemoration because I was here on 9-11. I was, I was working on the sub base as a uh, junior instructor at one of the schools here. And I was also a volunteer firefighter out in the town. So it, it kind of had double meaning for me to remember 20 years later what I was going through that time, what others on this installation, how how fearful we were, how, how much uncertainty there was. And also as a, a first responder to to know that we went to an empty firehouse south on I-95 to, to relieve uh, first responders who had, had gone down to the city. So personally, I had a lot of connection to it. And, and being able to commemorate that with the wide variety of people, we worked with the, uh, the Coast Guard Academy, other, uh, other members of the city of New London. It was just a, a terrific event and uh, it was very impactful. You, of course, will be moving on as of the 24th of September, to a new job. Can you tell us about that? Where will that be? I'll actually be working locally at the Undersea Warfare Development Center. 
So this is one of the tenant commands on the installation that uh, works to advance submarine development, uh, tactics, techniques, procedures, and technology. And so I'll be a part of that team. So in a sense, I'll be going back to my roots as a submarine officer, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Well, that seem a little bit strange, you know, having been, as I said earlier, sort of the mayor of the town, as it were, and you'll still be here, but in a very different role. Well, I consider myself to be perhaps going into retirement from that job of being a mayor and, and have promised my successor that I will not be critiquing his excellent job that I'm sure he's going to be doing. And what will that ceremony mean to you when it actually happens? I mean, you've clearly enjoyed and excelled in this position over the last two and a half years, but what will it mean to you on that day? Well, in, in one respect, it's a, it's a time-honored Navy tradition that uh, every few years, uh, it doesn't matter what command you're in, you pass the torch. And while you have the torch in, in your hand, you, you try to advance it down the field as far as you can and do great things. I feel that we've done that as a team here on the installation. And that's, uh, although with deep regret that I have to leave, it's also with a, uh, certainly a sense of accomplishment. Pleasure to hand it over to uh, Captain Curtin. Are you pleased with the legacy that you leave behind as obviously one of the commanders of this subbase? Absolutely. I know that COVID-19 pandemic, as it uh, occurred on, on my watch, certainly interrupted a lot of the things that we that we normally do. A big part of, of my role is to interact with the community. And much of that was was shut down, unfortunately. Nonetheless, the, the business of maintaining the space, of continuing to build the infrastructure on the space, marched on. And, and we're a key part of that. The Navy has vested many, many resources into the upkeep of this installation and its future development. So to have a hand in that and to know that uh, 10, 20 years from now, things that I had a hand in now will bear fruit uh, has been rewarding. What final message do you have either to your successor or just to people generally who may be listening to this? Well, for my successor and the, and the team at Subbase New London, I say that it's been a huge honor to be a part of that team and to uh, to never forget those who are on the front lines, shall we say, those those junior sailors who are going out to sea, doing the hard jobs, that, that we provide that support. We provide them the rest, the recuperation. We provide them a home to live in when they return, and we provide them the, the rest and re recreation and the connection with the community that, that builds their strength and resilience. To not forget that and make sure that we continue to serve them as best we can. Captain Todd Moore, Commanding Officer of Subbase New London, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Success in all your future endeavours, and thank you for your continued service to this country, and thank you for being on Connecticut East this week. Well, you're welcome, and thank you for your time, Brad. And the 53rd Commanding Officer of Subbase New London is Captain Kenneth Curtin, who has 35 years of U.S. Navy experience. He's trained future submarine commanders and executive officers, as well as having commanded U.S. nuclear submarines, among many other duties. Help protect your family from flu this season by taking three easy steps. First, get yourself and your family a flu shot. It's quick and can protect you all season. Second, take everyday actions to help prevent the spread of germs like flu. Cover your cough, stay home from work or school if you're sick, and wash your hands often. Third, there are drugs that can treat flu illness. These work best when started early. Learn more at cdc.gov slash fight flu. 
Winter is coming, so think about preparing your plants and trees for the season. Green Valley Tree LLC can help prepare your trees to withstand heavy snow, ice, and wind with cabling, trimming, and removal. We also do pruning. In fact, we do it all. Call Green Valley Tree LLC today on 860-234-4041 or visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently. Connecticut's economy has shrunk since the 2008 Great Recession and combined with highly inequitable wage distribution, that has led to a decrease in quality of life for some families living in the state. Emily Scott from the Connecticut News Service reports. That's according to an annual report from Connecticut Voices for Children that looked at how workers in the state's economy are faring overall. For this year's report, they analyzed data comparing job and economic growth in the state from 2007 to 2019, and then again during the pandemic-induced recession from February to April 2020. Lead report author Patrick O'Brien says it shows that the 2020 recession did make the state of the economy worse, but that many of these problems weren't new. We never really fully recovered from the Great Recession. And so when you look at all these different time frames, we can see that Connecticut's economy has really been struggling for more than a decade. And the coronavirus recession basically exacerbated this. Job growth was an issue in Connecticut prior to the pandemic as well. According to the report, the state saw only a 2.7 percent increase in jobs between 1990 and 2020, compared with the U.S. seeing a 39.4 percent increase overall. I'm Emily Scott. In the Connecticut Examiner this week, the head of city-owned Groton Utilities, which serves thousands of customers in southeastern Connecticut, has been placed on indefinite administrative leave pending an investigation. Ronald Godet, an old Lyme resident and former Navy officer, Pfizer engineer and director of facilities at Yukon, has not been seen for more than a week at the utility he has led since 2015. The official answer from the city of Groton's mayor's office is that it's a personnel matter and Godet will return to work in or around October 18th. In 2017, Godet was found in violation of Groton's municipal code of ethics stemming from his attendance at a CMEEC-funded junket to the 2016 Kentucky Derby, which led to federal indictments against several other attendees who are scheduled to go on trial in November. In the day this week in New London, the city administration's plan to use more than $26 million in federal coronavirus pandemic aid over the next three years, including $10.4 million to disproportionately impacted communities, a $2.38 million community policing initiative and a downtown beautification effort. The proposal provides funding for a variety of initiatives pitched by various community and non-profit organisations. The City Council is treating the proposal as it would a budget, with several meetings and a special public forum planned over the coming weeks to allow for public input before a final vote. The entire 315-page proposal is available on the City's website. The City expects to receive a total of $26.22 million in two instalments from the Federal American Rescue Plan Act relief package that has provided $350 billion in aid nationwide to address the impacts of the pandemic. In the Norwich Bulletin this week, the future of a proposed $8.8 million luxury apartment complex in downtown Norwich is moving forward again after city council members unanimously voted to direct $800,000 in American Rescue Plan funding to the developer of the project. Norwich Luxury Apartments LLC, owned by Yakov Adler of Spring Valley, New York, purchased the building at 7791 Main Street for $1.8 million in early August from New England Rose LLC, which acquired it for $675,000 in June 2018. 
If completed, the plans will see more than 40 high-end apartments built in the now vacant block of buildings, along with some commercial space on the ground floor. In the Middletown Press this week, the operators of a combined 70 group homes in Connecticut, where more than 600 unionized workers are set to strike, said they support their employees' fight for better wage and benefits as brokered by the state. But they can't agree to the increases in new two-year contracts with the workers until they receive funding from the state dedicated for health care and retirement costs for employees. Earlier, they received strike notifications from the state's largest health care union, SEIU 1199, saying workers plan to walk off the job at 6am on October 5th. And in the Chronicle this week, construction work has finally begun on the long-awaited renovation of Wyndham High School, which is expected to take more than three years. The work will be phased in so that the high school, early childhood centre and central offices can continue to operate in the building. Plans are underway for a groundbreaking ceremony and possibly a public information session. We've got to have the groundbreaking fairly soon, otherwise the ground will be frozen and snowy, said committee chairman Michael Callahan. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at connecticut-east.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening.